So, uh, again, my name is John. Um, Nick's not with me tonight. She she might be later, but it's been kind of a... This one might be a little brutal, might be a little disjointed, but anyways, today's been pretty much a long, fucked up, shitty day. And Nick is currently in the bath trying to forget about it. It's uh, currently 10.30 at night on a Thursday, which is significantly past my bedtime. But it's one of them days where he just can't seem to let go and shut all the way down. So I got um, Leah's candle sitting in here with me. And um, the pink mic's pissing me off and doesn't want to link up right. So we're using the, the uh, mic on the computer. So hopefully it sounds all right. And... Um, Number four is going to join me tonight. Um, he's in here right now. Um, we don't really have a huge set agenda of anything we want to talk about. It's, this ends up kind of just being a general stream of consciousness. Um, like I said, today was kind of a long, shitty day. Um, started off, honestly, as good as a day started off in a long time, and then it derailed in a hurry. Um, I'll... Uh, I'll get to that later. Um, uh, the, this uh, episode will have a slightly different tone if I start with that. So, I mean, I know this the point of this podcast is to kind of talk about grief um, as much as we can. Um, but it's also to try to just keep the people that know us informed as to kind of where we are in life and where things are going and where things have been. And, um, I told Rach the other day that I think, unfortunately, my new baseline level is angry. Um, I, I cycle in and out of, of sad or depressed or anguished or, I mean, momentary lapses of happiness, God forbid. But my baseline's kind of anger. And I was laughing, thinking about the episode in, uh, or not the episode, the scene in um, The Avengers where Cap tells uh, Banner that he, that he better, here he comes, you better get angry. And Banner looks at him and says, that's my secret. I'm always angry. And that's, that's kind of mine right now. Um, like right now, I keep getting notifications popping up on the computer that you're probably going to hear and you're pissing me off, but I can't figure out how to turn them off without turning off the Wi-Fi and stopping and starting over. Since I don't edit, every time you hear a ding, it's just some stupid thing telling me about my uh, firmware or some crap. Um, but I, just, I, I roll around angry. I'm all fucking day. I... I don't want to hurt anybody. Like I'm not, I'm not a violent person, but you step on my Puma and circle K and I want to whoop on you. You uh, cut me off in traffic. I want to drag you out the next stoplight. Um, you talk, you talk shitty to your kid at a restaurant and it's all I can do to not beat you all the way out the door. Um, or, uh, even being lucky to have one, just seeing somebody else act 
it's obviously somebody being a parent, but somebody is just being rude to their child, but I know that they're just trying to teach them, but it, I can't help but be like, I want to hurt them. I want to, I don't believe that they could be doing that, but all in fact that it would just be, that's a child. It, they need to be taught. They need to be taught any kind of lesson. And I can't really seem to realize that because, well, I haven't had a chance to teach anyone. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pump your mom and I up here a little bit. I'd like to think that you had good role models and you know how to parent correctly if and when you're so blessed to do that. That, I mean, Nick and I aren't perfect. I mean, we're not. We ain't saints. We've, I've had lots of shitty moments as a parent. I, I don't want to go into the details of it, but I had an incident where I lost my patience with number three really bad in March of 2010. And it, I've never been quite able to let it go. Um, I think he's young enough that he really doesn't remember, but I do. And anybody that was there in the motorhome, they remember too. Um, just not a proud moment as a parent. I mean, we have them, but it is, it's very, it's very frustrating and beyond irritating to see somebody you're at a restaurant and the kids are not behaving. They're, they're not being bad. They're just not, they're not being adults. And, and the parents are just slowly losing their cool with them. And it's like, you just want to walk over there. It's like half of me wants to punch the dad in the face. And the other half of me wants to just pick the kid up and let's go for a walk. Let's go outside. What do you want to play in the dirt? Let's go play in the dirt. I could, I could play in the dirt today. I would, I'd, I'd give anything to be covered in formula vomit right now and be exhausted because I can't sleep through the night. I, I give, I give anything to have it again. I, told somebody today that I'm dad. I've been dad a long time. I mean, one's 24 years old. I've been dad a long time. And Nick's mom, and she's been mom. She was mom from the minute she got pregnant. She was mom. But I haven't been a mommy and daddy in a long time. And uh, I really like to be I'd really like to be daddy again. Um, and this this whole COVID thing, the whole time Nick was pregnant, just made it that much worse. I I heard Leah's heartbeat the day we found out she was pregnant, and I heard Leah's heartbeat the day I found out she was gonna die, and I didn't hear it for the eight months in between. Because I couldn't go to any appointments. I couldn't. I couldn't be in the room. I. I got to see ultrasound pictures, the same as everybody else got to see. I got to hear about her measurements, the same as everybody else got to hear about them. I got. I got fucking cheated, out of. Being daddy. And um. I know ultimately the one the one that got cheated the most is Leah. She's the one that's gone. But it doesn't mean that I don't feel cheated too. And I feel cheated for one, two, three, and four. 
I mean, four here, he's never, he's got to be a brother for a long time. He's been a little brother his whole life. Yeah, I always got to be the little brat, but I never got to raise and see a little brat grow among me. And I've been around foster kids, and I'd like to say I did at least an okay job of being a big brother, being being caring when I have to, but obviously being a big brother, being a layhole whenever. But I just never got to be with my own. I never got to see my little sister. You know, we we love those foster kids. We did. We we treated them like family from day one. But I mean, let's be brutally honest. It's different. It's not. It's not you. It's not, it's not your little sister. It's, they could have been, it could have been their little sister and the little brother. And if they'd stayed with us longer, they would have been, but it's not, it's not the same. I mean, Leo is coming into this earth with four people, four siblings that would end somebody for them, for her. Um, two, three, and four carry a pretty heavy moral compass, but number one gets the hammer on that rule. <laughs> um, sorry, two. When it, when it comes to to being the big sibling and laying the hammer down, that's one's role, and, and one was looking forward to having a little sister. But anyways, it's just, yeah, it's it's been... There's been, I mean, this I know this always sounds sad and and angry and poor fucking John all the time, but it, it we've had some good and we'll talk about that. So since since the last time we did this 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 uh, podcast, we were you know we we were in Montana when Nick and I did the last one, and when we were up there, we decided that we wanted to do another trip with the kids. So we turned around, flew home. We're home four days, <laughs> packed our bags, and left again. And um, we took one, two, three, and four, and one's girlfriend and two's wannabe girlfriend. Sorry, buddy. Complicated. Complicated. Um, took uh, took two's friend that's a girl um, with us, and uh, and we hell we even took the dog, and we went back to Montana and we spent five days up there, and the boys went snowmobiling and 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 snowboarding and the, the girls drove around and and looked at the lake and explored and got massages and and we had dinner every night and got to be as much of a family as we could for the for five days minus one um but it wasn't all bad it's it's not all bad every day yeah, um, even even flipping off of a snowmobile wasn't bad. I uh I hit a snowball. <laughs> number number four may have uh did his best uh cousin Jeffrey impression and tried to see if he could superman that sucker into the oblivion. Um and uh two, three, and four pushed the guide so hard that the that the guide blew up his drive belt, uh like uh Uncle Jay. Um, who could never make it through a snowmobile trip without blowing up a drive belt. 
so it wasn't it wasn't all bad it was it was good um we had a good trip and everybody had fun and everybody was healthy not too banged up and came home exhausted so successful vacation i guess um and then we came back and, and we've been working like crazy we have more work than we know what to do with um which is a great problem, but it's a problem. Um, I've hired another guy and he's, he's working out. Um, he fits in well and he's, and he's learning fast and everybody's being safe. And we had a couple really hard jobs in a row, but we've got them done and, and moving on. And today, like today started off really good. Everybody was locked in and doing their thing. Um, it's like a, it's a easy going machine when everything's working right. But um but yeah, it's just every day is ups and downs and ups and downs. And um I think something that I've been dealing with is um I haven't had a a full blown panic attack, I guess, but I, I definitely like I can feel it coming. Um, I get extremely, extremely anxious. And when I get anxious, and it's always been this way, when I'm anxious, I get, I get mean. Um, I had, some of you know this, some of you don't. I had a problem with my heart about six years ago. And every time I would, I was going into AFib and every time I would go into AFib, I would get extremely anxious. And when I would get anxious, I would get short and curt and mean. And I'm, I'm doing that again right now. Like I just have a, a hair trigger for it. it uh, I'm, I'm having a really hard time driving, to be honest. It's driving sets it off more than anything. Um, I just, I can drive on a highway just fine. It doesn't bother me at all. But I am having a heck of a time with city traffic and people turning in and out of parking lots and people making U-turns and I mean, and not, and not even driving bad, just it's too much noise. There's too much going on. And I like, I get overwhelmed trying to process it. And, um, it really puts me out of my comfort zone. And, uh, <laughs> and I refuse to drive past the fucking hospital. So it makes it complicated when we have to cut across town. And that's really the, the it's the route we always took because it's the fastest route, at least stoplights and the direct route to the north to the east. And now I'm constantly getting caught in worse traffic on worse streets to not have to drive past the hospital because I don't have the, I don't have an Emmy to drive by it. I drove by it twice on accident and both days we just went home, um, called it, and couldn't do it. Didn't have it in me anymore. And on that subject of anxiety spikes and panic attacks, and my my dad might be a little bit confused about this, but it was more that I just didn't really know what to think about it, and I think he might get a little bit annoyed that I didn't tell him sooner. So... A couple days back, I 
can't really remember what it really was. I we we have these keychains of Lee's pendant and uh one, two, and three, and my dad and my mom have theirs sitting on their car. They sit it having in the rear view mirror, which no, I don't don't get me wrong, I don't have a problem with it. It's just that I chose that I wanted to have something to remember her by and something that I can feel like I'm taking her with me wherever I go. So ever since I've had it, I've been wearing it on my neck. And the only time that I ever take it off is when I'm taking a shower. And other than that, it's it's never off my neck. But there's been a few times where I accidentally forgot it on the the counter in the bathroom. And the last few times I was more of like annoyed with myself that I forgot it. But there was the last time that I did. And all I said to mom and dad was that I was just afraid about it, afraid that I lost it or something like that. But in all reality, when I figured out that I lost it about two hours into my shift, I felt around my neck and I didn't feel it. And I started freaking out. And I thought that I would be okay. That would be like the other few times I'd forgotten it. But I get over to my delivery and I deliver my order and I go and sit back in my car and I just curl up into a ball and just start freaking out. And I didn't think I would be able to ask my boss if I could head home and just grab something that he would think that was just something stupid. And I didn't want to know that because I know that if he said anything like that, I would have hit him as hard as I could. And I didn't want to think that he would call it stupid. I didn't want him to think that I was weak. But throughout all that, I was, don't get me wrong, I'm not suicidal, not by any chance, but I was definitely thinking about wanting to die, thinking that I was such a terrible big brother that I shouldn't deserve to have it if I forget something as easy as that. And, I ended up calling my best friend. He's He's been helping me through a lot of this. He understands. We don't necessarily talk about it much, but he knows that there's times that I, I just can't have it. And he just said, I'll, I'll talk to him for you. And I won't tell you what he says. I'll just tell you yes or no. And I said, thank you. So he goes to talk to my boss. And... <laughs> When I mean he's my best friend, he wasn't even scheduled for that day. And I was set to close. And he comes in and he's like, hey, so I'm going to do the dishes and and that I need to go home and I need to go grab it. And I just can't believe that he decided to do that for me. And my boss ended up saying yes. So I went home and I grabbed it. And my parents were currently doing a uh, support group and they just see me come in. I hadn't said anything. I quickly run up the stairs and I go and grab that pendant. I immediately put it around my neck and I just sit down on the floor for 
I, I knew I couldn't stay for long, but it was at least a good minute. And I come back downstairs. No, wait, no, I didn't put it around my neck. I had it on my hand. And I come back downstairs and my parents told me they were on mute. Why am I here? And I just hold it up and leave. I didn't utter a word for them. And I just head out the door and that's when I put it on my neck. And it, putting it on or taking it off, it doesn't honestly matter. No matter what, it hurt. When I have it on, it feels like a ton weighing onto my shoulders. Like I have to be something to hold on to. Because I always thought that when this started, I would be a lighthouse for anybody who needed help. And honestly, this is the first time I've talked about this with anyone in the family. The only other person has been my best friend, and we don't even talk about it much because I know he doesn't want to hear it. And he knows I don't like talking about my feelings. And, um, I forgot what I was going to say. This. Let me jump back in there. Hi. Your mom and I told you at the beginning that you didn't need to be anybody's rock. We're, we, we all have to take turns. I, I don't have it every day. There's, there's days I prop your mom up. There's days that your mom props me up. There's, there's days when, when you guys, when you and your, and your brothers come and sit down for dinner and are just talking geek shit and that props us up. It's, it's everybody has to take their turn. You don't have to be, you can't be, not even, not that you not have to be, you can't be, you cannot be strong all the time, you can't. And, and, and I understand the, the footprints. Um, I leave mine in my window, but I leave them in my window because I'm filthy at work all the time. And, and they're heavy. And, and I just, I just don't want them around my neck all day the the heavy of it the weight the weight of it's enough without the physical weight of it um and i don't want to get them dirty and ruin them and and touch them too much and rubber footprints away like i don't i don't want a, a shiny dog tag with no footprint anymore so mine are in the window of the truck but i still probably touch them a hundred times a day it's all the time when we went to Montana twice, I took them with me and they were in the rearview mirror of the rental vehicle both times. Um, and as far as trying to talk to your boss or talk to your friend, they're, they're not going to get it. They they can't possibly get it. Thank God they don't get it. Um, and yeah, and it's hard to talk with somebody that doesn't, that doesn't get it. And is not only do they not get it, they're also, on the edge of being a dink. Um, if you want to talk about that, there's been another thing, and I know he's okay with me talking about it in any sort of perspective, um, but he can forget at some points, because usually when I try and talk to him, and we're not even close to that kind of subject, I make it look like nothing's wrong. I've been doing that a lot. And he just forgets sometimes that we lost somebody and he tells me that his I forgive me if I'm wrong I don't know much about Spanish uh, Tia Tia if I remember correctly 
his grandmother, right? Tia's aunt. Tia's aunt. Yeah. Abuela, his grandmother. Yeah. Um, it's Tia had a baby the other week, about, yeah, last week, and he didn't realize it after talking about it for an hour. And don't get me wrong, I'm so happy that he has somebody new in the family and something he can be happy about. But it took him an hour into him talking about it and me just sitting there quietly for him to realize, oh, I, I'm sorry. And I'm, I just tell him it's okay. I just want you to be happy. If you're happy, then I'm okay. It is your, you know, we, we decided when we, after we, after your mom gave birth to you, we decided that we were done having kids. And and we made some medical decisions to not have any. And then two years later, changed our mind, but it didn't work. But from the time that your cousin was born in 2006 until your, until the, until the godson, little R, was uh, born in 2017, your mom and I didn't go to a baby shower. Your mom and I didn't associate with people that we knew were pregnant. Um, I don't have a very good relationship with my sister right now. Um, we don't have a bad relationship with her. I just don't have one, period. And the reason I don't have a relationship with my sister was she got pregnant twice in that time frame. And we just, we couldn't be around her. Uh, it was just too damn hard. And we had some friends that lived next door out here that were good friends. And we did, went to the lake together and did Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff. And, and, and she got pregnant. And um, we lived next door and didn't see him for three years, basically, because it was just too hard to be around him. Um, I don't, we don't begrudge him. Like, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you're having kids. I mean. If you can have kids and you want kids and have kids, I mean, that kids are great. It's, it's what we're here for, but it's, I don't begrudge them. Just, uh, just couldn't be around it. And, and right now I really, really can't be around it. Um, we went to dinner the other night and there and kind of in the back of the restaurant by ourselves. It's quiet. Um, it was, it's, you know, it's still COVID protocol, so they're only running 50% out here and appetizer comes and everything's good. And, you know, your mom and I hadn't been to dinner with just us. I mean, we did it in Montana a couple of times, but even then we didn't eat in the restaurant. We just got takeout, but we're just having dinner and trying to enjoy ourselves. And, and walks a woman with her two-year-old and, and then she's about seven months pregnant. So, um, that was pretty much the end of dinner. Just can't even be around it. It's everywhere you go. You go to the go to Walmart and somebody pregnant. You go to Costco, somebody's pregnant. It's and I'm the dad. I can only imagine how Nick actually feels about it. It's um I don't know. It's a whole damn thing. Um, but like you said again, it hasn't it hasn't all been. It hasn't all been bad. It hasn't all been good. It's, um, you know, everybody's, everybody's been really good. Nobody's, 
nobody's really pushed. There, there's been some comments from people, and I'm not going to name any names, but there's been some comments that are not meant to be pushy, but they're on the edge of it because we're not ready. Um, I, uh, I watched the basketball game here a couple weeks ago. That was a epic failure, but anyways, I watched the basketball game on Zoom with some of my alumni buddies, and and it was fun, and I and I had a good time, and we cracked jokes, and it kind of felt like normal. And then I was just destroyed for the next two days afterwards because I just couldn't mentally handle that I had done something normal. Um, with other people not in this family. Like we can be, I hate the word normal, but but we can be us with us and joke and mess around and pick on number two and and pick on the little homeless number three. <laughs> it, it's a joke, let it go. Um, but, um, but it's hard to rationalize being okay with other people. Um, one of my good friends got married during COVID and hasn't had a bachelor party slash reception slash get together slash anything you want to call it. And they're trying to plan a trip in September to Miami. And the thought of going is just about panic inducing. Um, I want to go, like, I want to be there. I want to be part of it, but I'm not ready to not be with Nick for one. Um, She's definitely not ready to not be with me. And I, even if we both went and I just went out with them Saturday night or Friday night and Saturday night, I'm not ready to have a continual good time. I don't think I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to handle it. Um, it's, it's just, like I said, it's just this side of panic inducing. I'm like, I'm sitting here, I'm tapping my fingers right now, just trying to even talk about it. And, and I love them guys. They're, they're my brothers. Um, I want to see them. Um, but I do, I just, if any of you guys are listening, I, I'm going to tell you that I plan to be there, but I might not know until it's time to get on the plane if I'm coming or not. Um, and uh, I really want to, I really, really, really want to go back to Michigan this summer. Um, again, my godson, not not legally on paper, but he's my godson. He's my boy. Um, he's going to be four in June. And I, with, uh, I haven't seen him since October of 19. I mean, I haven't seen him since he was two years and three months old, and now he's going to be four. It's, but it's not. It's not seeing all you guys, and that's it's not the hard part. It's. It, I mean, there's obviously there's the, the the. I hate the terminology elephant in the room, but the conversation the elephant in the room is always going to be there. It's never not going to be there for us. It's always going to be there. But it, it's it's not that. It's the. It's the what do we talk about after? Um, because I want to sit around and talk about craft beer. I want to sit around and talk about the mowing the grass. I want to 
sit around and talk about how shitty your wallet is. <laughs> I wanna, and then and then with with uh, JJ and KK, I wanna we wanna go and see you guys and and go to the park and have a bonfire and and just hang out and geek out about music and watch YouTube on the TV and you want to do that stuff. And it's, and we can do it when we're there. It's when it's over. That's so hard for us to handle. It's the, it's how to rationalize normal after normal's over. You go like, yeah, I don't, I we haven't done it. So I don't know. Maybe I'm building it up to be way worse than it's going to be, but somehow I don't think so. And, um, and come June, we're only, we're only seven months out. Like what? I can't even think about Halloween. It's just, it's just too much. Um, same thing with trying to go see the guys in Miami in September. Like it's September. Now we're, now we're getting real. Now next month is when she was born and the following month is, is when Leah died. And it's just, it's all too goddamn real. Um, and, uh, you know, four is getting close to being done with school here and he's, he wants to join the armed forces and, and go and, and, and I, I, I don't really support his decision exactly, and I'll leave it at that, but we will support him. Um, whatever branch he joins, I will go buy my son as a shirt immediately, and we'll support him. But it terrifies us that we're four months, six months from just being us. Um, just us alone in this house. and. I mean, empty nest always happens. It happens to everybody. It's inevitable that it happens. Unless you're, you know who you are and you live at home until you're 35. Just kidding, too soon. Um, but, but it happens. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I think that's what's going to be the hardest part about it. It's that after I found out that mom was pregnant, and that I was going to have a little sister. Obviously, I was... I don't know how to put it correctly. I just don't think I was attached as much as they were at the time. But it was when the time came that I it was getting closer and closer. And then too soon that I realized that I needed her. And I pray to God that I would hope that she would want me and now knowing that I'll be leaving for the armed forces and I'll be gone for such a long time, which makes it so much harder is knowing that I'm going to be the last one leaving. I was hoping that I wasn't going to be the last one out. I was hoping that my parents could still have someone be around because even if they weren't sad, I know that they would be lonely without their kids all the time. And me obviously being away the longest, not being able to see them, being gone for basic for a couple months and then deployment usually being a couple months to two years, just not being able to see them. 
and then not being able to see me other than through, say, FaceTime or a text or a letter, which, God, I hope they don't have to read letters because I have terrible handwriting. No, but all the, all, of them, all the kids have been good. They're all good kids. We've talked about this. It's not a secret. They're all good kids. And, you know, one and her... One and her girlfriend, they, they come over all the time. They come over almost every Sunday and here almost all day. And they bring, they bring the dog, they bring Jackass, and let Jackass and Marcel play, and it's fun. And we meet them for dinner every once in a while, and it's okay. It's good. It's great. And two and three come out, and they come and hang out and and <laughs> don't ride together, which is ridiculous because they live together. But <laughs> I don't know. They both like driving, so I guess they're definitely my kids. Or used to like driving, anyways. But um, like it's it's never going to be an an empty nest. Like we're we're not these parents that have that have just their kids can't wait to just move out and get the hell away from us. I mean, I, I don't think so, anyways. Hey, there's um, been some points. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. I mean, I loved my mother too. I was ready to move out, but I still wanted to come home fairly regularly i just didn't want to admit it um but um yeah it's just, it's just hard to it's hard that the world keeps spinning um at some points you just wish you had like a stop button a time a moment or a moment to think for yourself and no one has to listen no one can listen and you can just have the world to yourself. So I guess I'm gonna talk about this now, but I may um may end up deleting it and I'll edit for the first time. So if all of a sudden it just ends, then you, you know I did. But so you know, we've talked about that we're exploring adoption and, um, and I, I haven't hid the fact that I'm not excited about the adoption process. I, I don't like it. I don't like having to ask permission to be a parent. Um, I understand why there's checks and balances, but I've already talked about this, that I've done a state background check and I've done a federal background check and I have money in the bank. And uh, how about talk to the four kids we already raised? Um, talk to our friends and family that, that, that know us. And that should be enough. It should be the end of it. And then, I mean, you got to write your check to cover some bills and then you move on this. But that's not how this process works. This process is extremely, extremely invasive. And, um, They just make it seem like they don't trust us. Like, for instance, today I had to go in for fingerprints. And I'm like, so you'd rather get Ford's fingerprints instead of talking to him personally, who's been with his parents for 18 years. And rather than talking to me personally, because the guy did not care that, about me. He just knew that I was another person in there. My fingerprints done. But I just wish that somebody would come over and ask me, how good are your parents? And I would tell them almost instantaneously, they're probably the best parents that I know. 
there, there's nothing that I would change about it. Sure, there's some points that I'm like, please back off, but that's just them being parents. They're wanting to, they're, they're not controlling, they're guiding. And me being a kid, obviously, or young adult, as I like to call myself, I like to think that I can do all this on my own, but most of the time I gotta be like, Dad, how do I do this, please? And it's, I just wish that they would talk to us as the kids to the parents rather than somebody who's just living with them because that's all I am to those guys. Well, I appreciate that. We, you're a pretty good kid too. <laughs> Don't tell the other ones. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so where I'm going with that is like today started off honestly as good as any day started off a long time. I got up this morning. I didn't have any paperwork to do. I've been a good boy and I'm caught up on it. Um, was able to just get coffee, go meet the guys, get there. Everybody's locked in. Like they're, they're firing on all cylinders. They know what we're doing today. They've got the truck loaded, um, gassed up ice in the cooler because it's hot as shit already. Um, Got the sunshade, like everybody's ready to go. We get to the job site, we start tearing stuff apart, we're working, everything's good. We see a hummingbird today. We haven't seen a hummingbird yet. It's been a while. We, we, we've been seeing some in the backyard, but we haven't really seen one close. And this hummingbird comes and lands on the tree, like right in front of us. Nick and I are sitting there looking at this thing, just staring and going, yep, I see you. I see you. Today's going to be an okay day. Let's, let's go to work. Let's do this. So we're... Just kind of working away, and about 11 o'clock, Nick gets a phone call. And the phone calls the uh, adoption agency, and they want to clarify some information that they received from the foster care agency. So, mind you, we didn't even need to tell them that we'd done foster care, but we offered up the information that we'd done foster care because we thought it would be helpful in the process or another feather in our cap, per se. Um, make us as attractive parents. I, I told you I hate this whole damn thing. I want to adopt, but I don't like how you have to do it. How you have to peek off yourself. So, so this phone call comes in, and they they want to clarify some information in this foster care report. So, a little bit of backstory here. I'll try to be quick. Um, when we decided to do foster care in in um, twenty fifteen. The plan was we, we wanted to foster to adopt. I mean, I know the goal of foster care is reunification, but if I'm being completely honest, we wanted to adopt. And we get our license. Anyways, we go through the program. We get our license. We've had our license about two hours. And they call us and say, hey, we have a, a six-month-old little boy. We're like, uh, all right, uh, not exactly what we were looking for, but okay, I mean, can we have a few minutes like to think about it? And then this social worker sends us a picture, which they're not supposed to do, FYI. Um, so now you've just trapped us and have sent us this picture of this little baby sleeping next to a file cabinet. And um, they tell us that, that he's only been removed once, but his sister's been removed twice and they're 
um, last time they were a kinship, meaning that, that the aunt had them. And the aunt was just trying to get some paperwork around and they were going to be placed with his aunt. But for right now, they were just looking for somebody right now because they didn't, they, they didn't have a placement. So we're like, yes, we'll take him. Sure. Positively. And we took him and we treated him like our son. The minute we took him, um, we hugged him and kissed on him and gave him baths and did everything you're supposed to do with a six month old baby. And, you know, about two weeks go by and uh, we knew he had two sisters, but the one sister was in a medical facility, um, which was why they were removed the first time. I'm not going to get into the details of it, but her dad's in prison. Leave it at that. Um, but they, they it was, so it was a second removal for the older sister. And so it's about two weeks down the road and we and, you know, we'd been told that the older sister had been placed and then, and then, and then the baby had been placed with us. And then we find out that, oh, actually, um, the aunt's not going to be able to take them because they don't meet the requirements anymore. Um, so the sister's in a group home. Um, she's four, by the way, almost five. And she's in a group home. And, and now you have a six-month-old baby. So the sister came to live with us because that's who the hell we are. We're those people. We're not going to accept. We, we had room. Uh, I can remember two asking us, well, we, we have another bedroom, right? Then why wouldn't we? And it was just that simple for him. And that, and he learned that from us. It's just that simple. If you, if you, if you got room in your heart and you got room in your home, then do it. So here we are two month, two weeks out from having our license and all of a sudden we've got a six month old and a five year old living in our house and it was good. And we had them for nine months. We, the first time we meet the the caseworker from DCS, she tells us, Oh, this is going to be a long one. These kids are never going home. Um, so we're going to be looking for long-term placement. So now we have two kids in our house that were basically supposed to be respite care that all of a sudden are not ever going home. And what do we do? Do we want to adopt them? And, and we did seriously explore it. But but anyways, about nine months down the road, we get a call from the social worker to let us know that that not the aunt, but the aunt's best friends were going to be licensed to be foster parents. And they were interested in taking the kids. The reason they were getting their license was to take them. Would we release them to them? Um, and, and we basically wanted to know if the aunt still had anything to do with the mother and father. And the answer was no, they completely cut them out of their lives. And like, well, then yes. So they can go live with these friends and they can play with their cousins and it'll be fantastic for them. Yes, go be with your, with your people for sure. So we let them go. And, uh, and then we didn't, we didn't take any placements for about six weeks and we caught our breath. And then we get a call about a, a two day old baby, baby boy. Do you want him? Yes. Okay. Well, both both parents both parents are um, are Hispanic. Okay. Yeah, I don't care. He could be purple. Doesn't matter. Um. Yes. Yes, we'll take him for sure. And they bring him to us, and then they tell us, "Oh, so he's um, he's absolutely positively going to be available for adoption." Available sounds terrible, but you think you know what I mean? Like, if if you want to adopt this child, you're going to be able to adopt him. He's number nine. Mom doesn't have one through eight. Um, mom's never going to have him. Um, he's absolutely available for adoption. If you guys want to do that, we're like, yes, please. 
So from that day forward, he was certainly still a foster child, and we did treat the other ones as our son and daughter, but this was different. Um, he was our baby, and we treated him as our baby. And um, we had him for about three weeks, and the social worker calls and tells us that her and the, um, the attorney for him need to stop by the house and discuss some paperwork for the for his case. We're like, um, okay, well, what, what, do we need to start moving on the adoption paperwork or what already? And I said, no, 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 no. He's, um, he, he, mom, mom's, um, part native. So he's a, he's an Indian child welfare act case. He's a, he's an equal baby. We're like, well, we won't be able to adopt him then because the tribes out here don't sign off on equal cases. Do they They're like, oh no, no. Yeah, no, you'll, you won't be able to adopt him. Um, you can you can love him like your own, but but don't get too attached because you'll never be able to adopt him. And until Leah died, that was the most pain I've ever seen my wife in. Um, it was like he died. We we lost him that day in a in a phone call, and had a decide what to do. Do we keep him and love him like our own and just wait and panic every time the phone rings for them to tell us that they're going to come get him because we're never going to be able to keep him. He's never going to be ours. So we made the very, very extremely tough decision to have him placed with a ICWA family and we closed our license. Enough of that organization enough of that caseworker um she screwed us twice knowingly and openly admitted it both times that her job is to place children in safe stable homes um not ultimately caring whether it met our needs or not because we said yes so anyways where i've been going with that is we get this call today from the the people going through the paperwork, the adopting agency, and they want to clarify. Because the paperwork says that we that we had two disruptions and we refused Saturday visits and we refused to meet the social worker and refuse the attorney. And when they insisted that they needed to meet us, that we disrupted and closed our license. So they lied to cover their own ass. And now this is in our file. And it looks like we're just fucking terrible people that just took kids and it wasn't the kid we wanted. So we just threw them away. That's what the fuck it looks like. When in fact it was their shitty ass parents that threw them away, not us. We did everything we could. <laughs> so this piece of shit still gets to keep her job. I mean, she got fired from there had to go somewhere else for dirty dealing, but that's not in the file. But um, in Arizona, a judge has to sign off on your approval to adopt. Not only do they sign off on the adoption itself, they have to sign off on you even being approved to adopt. So as part of this home study process that we're trying to do, this home study person has to A, believe what we're telling them, B, go to court and try to fight for it, C, get a judge to sign off on it, Otherwise, 
we're not going to be able to be approved for adoption. So now somebody that can't do their job and their only goal was to cover their own ass has potentially taken away the rights of us to be parents again, to be mommy, to be daddy. So what do you do with that? Um, right now, I don't know. I, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know if we keep fighting. I think we do. I, I think we, I think we fight until, until we get told no officially. Um, but then again, it's, as well as everybody does their job out here, I'm sure it'll just go before the judge and he'll look at it and go, oh, you make this much? Oh, and uh, you got a house that you own? Oh, yeah, okay. All right, you're good. <laughs> That'll be it. But if and until we get to sit in anguish, wondering if people we don't know get to decide if we get to be mommy and daddy again. And I get to watch my wife hurt all day, every day, and it hurt that is unimaginable to somebody that hasn't been through this. So first you took a baby away from us because you lied. And then our baby died. And now you've potentially took another baby away from us because you lied. So thanks. Thanks for nothing. You know, I think the part that hurts the most about hearing this from you, Dad, is that knowing my parents from the past and knowing how he said, we think we'll fight, that doesn't sound like my dad. I know that my dad any other day, any other week, any other year would say, yes, absolutely, I will fight. I will fight for my right to be a daddy again. And knowing how this time around that people, that social worker and the world have screwed with my parents so much that they don't, they don't know if they can fight again just makes me so angry and so annoyed that anyone in the world and that the world in general can be like this. So again, thank you to that social worker. I really, really hope that you can sleep at night.